0: House of Cards, brought to you by Delilah's. Voted America's number one gentleman's club. Check them out at Delilah's.com.
1: You know what cheers me up? when Rolled up aces over kings.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The House of Cards.
0: Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player, Ashley Adams.
2: Okay, you have some skill.
3: Good evening, listeners, or good afternoon, listeners, whatever time it may be when you are listening. This is House of Cards. I'm Ashley Adams, and we have, I think I say this every show, but we really do have a great show lined up for you today. Two guests. The first one is the foremost Legal expert on the gaming industry He's going to talk about some proposed legislation for California that could begin by making Internet gaming legal for California residents and could end up spreading all across the country, which he'll talk to us about. And then we're going to have somebody who is an expert on the gaming industry in general, talking to us about trends, uh, about what's going on in Pennsylvania, Atlantic City. Uh, Very, very interesting guy who has his roots uh, in the gaming industry for many years. Roger Gross, who's the publisher of Casino Connection and Global Gaming Business. And then we have, I think, the best uh, segment. I think it will be the best segment of Mailbag. I'm going to talk to Dave about my recent trip to the World Series of Poker, what I saw, what I did, what I didn't see, what I didn't do. Um, And I think that'll be fun, too. So stay tuned. We'll be back in about a minute. Great
0: moments in history. In October 1978, John Paul is informed that he is the first non-Italian pope elected in nearly 500 years.
3: I did it! Yes! Everyone can eat shit. A big bag of <laughs> I'm the greatest man in the world! Woo!
0: In June 2008, House of Cards began podcasting. Go to HouseOfCardsRadio.com and click on the podcast button for all recent show downloads.
4: My husband, he's the greatest. Like when I told him that I wanted us to reaffirm our vows for our first anniversary, he went and threw me a big church wedding. Ever since then, every single anniversary, we've gotten married again. Chapel weddings, scuba weddings, Elvis weddings. Sometimes I don't know why he does it. Bachelor
5: party so good, he'll want to get married over and over again. Delilah's. Oh, we do the whole
4: thing with the bridesmaids and the reception. He even gets his little boy's night out.
5: Delilah's bachelor parties, phenomenal food, scintillating cigars, and the world's most beautiful showgirls. Last
4: time, he came back saying he could see my inner beauty and that I shouldn't just walk through life, I should dance.
5: See, he's the greatest. Delilah's Bachelor Parties. Get all the details right now at Delilah's.com and give him the party he'll remember for the rest of his marriage. Delilah's, the biggest, the bravest, the best.
0: You're listening to the House of Cards. I'm raising the ante. Anybody wants in, get in. Anybody wants out, get out. All right, I'll play. Join us online at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Are we going to play poker? So, the poker game has begun.
3: Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. And, uh... We have a great guest about to come on. I just want to preface it by saying I spend a lot of time at the poker table, and there's usually one, two, or three people who act like they are experts on everything. It's the nature of poker players to act like they really know something, even if they don't. Well, we're fortunate enough to have the guy who really is the expert on gambling law in the United States especially – Professor I. Nelson Rose, who is recognized as one of the world's leading experts on gambling law and is a consultant and expert witness for governments and industry. His latest books, I'm reading right from his bio. It's not like I memorized this, but I know he's an incredibly important person in the gambling industry. He's a three-time returning guest. So I'm going to just finish his latest books, Internet Gambling Law, first and second editions, Blackjack and the Law, Gaming Law, Cases and Materials, are available through his website, www.gamblingandthelaw.com Returning guest I, Nelson Rose. Nelson, are you there? I'm here. Okay, well that was a, a long preface. I'm glad we finally got to you. I'm specifically interested in, I think, one of your more recent articles, maybe your most recent article, about the new law affecting internet intranet gaming in California that is titled California Breakthrough. Can you give our listeners first just a brief summary of the law, and then I want to get into the serious implications it has for playing poker on the internet.
1: Sure. Yeah, and thank you for that, that wonderful introduction. I. I greatly appreciate it. It's always fun coming on these shows. I always learn stuff myself. Um, what is happening, one of the great ironies was that conservative Republicans rammed through in the Congress a bill called the Unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act in October 2006, and it was designed to outlaw internet gambling. It devastated the publicly traded stocks of of companies like party poker um it scared everybody but this wonderful irony is now that we have this great recession where the states are desperate for money, more and more states are looking at internet gambling, particularly internet poker, merely as a way of raising money. They don't care about, the politicians don't care about gambling, but they're desperate. They've raised taxes and cut services as much as they can. And states, unlike the federal government, can't print money, so they can't have deficits. So they're looking for anything they can do. Uh, And there's a uh, very serious proposal in California to legalize, starting with, it looks like it would start with Internet poker, but go even beyond that. How
3: will it go beyond that?
1: Well, the the definition of permitted games has been amended to say basically any form of gambling that the regulator, which would be the Department of Justice, um, says is okay.
3: So what this would allow just focusing on the poker, would be essentially playing poker on the Internet as long as the hub, the origin of the poker, was in California and the players were from California? Is that right?
1: Right. right. That's the great, the great irony of this unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act is it's got exemptions. So it's caused a great boom in skill games. I get people wanting me, oh, it requires what they call a reasoned legal opinion from a gaming lawyer. So I Whoa. get calls from me, uh, people who want to do skill games, free alternative means of entry games, uh, and, you know, various forms of gambling, uh, fantasy sports that are permitted under the statute. And the statute also says if it's 100% intrastate. Well, California's got a population greater than Canada. And uh, if you just limit it to people who are physically present, you're probably still talking about a billion-dollar-a-year industry. state charges 20% and gets $200 a year.
3: So this is an interesting thing. So theoretically, Nelson, California, New York, New Jersey, which New Jersey has a similar law that's pending, I understand. We had a guy on talking about it. But every state in the union could theoretically have intrastate poker on the Internet, so that if you're from California, you could play on a California site. If you're in Montana, you could play on a Montana site, New Jersey, etc. So everybody in the United States theoretically could be playing poker on the Internet, but it would have to be at a site that only has players from that state allowed.
1: Well, yes, that would be the first step. Uh, And, of course, some states like Utah will not do it ever. Other states like North Dakota, which want to do it, May not have enough players. There's a liquidity problem, but the next step and, and uh, the, there's an other big state, Florida, is also looking at it very seriously. Um, the next step would be to get Congress to say, "Look, we have an interstate horse racing act. Why not have an interstate Pol- Pol- poker uh, act?" If the states, Congress in December 2000 specifically amended the Interstate Horse Racing Act to say states decide for themselves whether they want to allow their players, uh, their citizens, to make bets on horse races from their own home, including across state lines, including with other states. So if California, New Jersey, uh, North Dakota, Florida all say we want our poker operators to be able to take bets on the Internet and from each other state, why should Utah care? Why should the federal government care?
3: Right. So basically you could have a compact among 13 states that have no problem with Internet gaming so that among all of the residents of those 13 states, they could play at uh, Internet poker rooms emanating from any of those 13 states.
1: Right. In fact, they're (laughs) they're up to almost 30 states now under the Interstate Horse Racing Act. All right. With a federal statute, you just say they can opt in. And to do it right, they really ought to make it uh, international as well.
3: Okay, so that would in some ways be like uh, the Powerball. It used to be that the lotteries were limited to the state, then somebody came up with a brilliant idea. Hey, we could have even bigger prizes if we had lots of states where we sold tickets and participated and we shared all the huge amounts of revenue that a $200 million prize might generate, and so they have Powerball. You could essentially have the same multi-state compacts that could allow for poker, and maybe you could include people from all over the world. And once you did that the efficacy of a UIGEA that prohibited um, what it was designed to prohibit, which is the transfer of money, that would probably just wither up and die because people would say, well, this is ridiculous. Why should we even have that on the books if people are playing well, poker? Well, it
1: still, it still would be that if Utah wants to opt out, they opt out. They don't have to be part of it. Um, and there is actually a model. Um, it happened to be created by a regulator in New Zealand but adopted by Australia, uh, which had said they the tax money goes back to the states. So if a player is in California, even if the uh, the California gets that tax revenue, if the player is from another country and it's legal, uh, assuming it's legal, you know, from say England, um, well then the. The operator can, uh, can keep that tax, or the, or the state where the operator is, keeps that tax revenue.
3: So it's a way, in some way, of protecting domestic Internet poker right. operations from unfair competition or any competition. Although, as a practical matter, Nelson, here's what I'm wondering. Yeah. I'm the best Internet poker site around let's say i'm i'm a uh, poker stars which i mean I, I say the best they're the best established they're the ones that have the best reputation i think among players uh, they're right up there how are they going to view this are they going to think oh my goodness this is so unfair they're legalizing it for u.s based and here we are based off seas but we're going to still operate in the united states with american players we don't care or would it ice them out do you th- i mean what would happen? well
1: the the uh there's still a lot of uh Steps that have to be taken before this becomes law, uh, the uh, some of the advocacy groups, I think the Poker Players Alliance or Poker Voters of America, one of the two, came out against it because one of the provisions is it actually would make it a crime to make a bet with a place like Poker Stars in if you're in California. Uh, because it wouldn't, if it's not licensed by California, and they don't like that.
3: Oh, now that's now that's definitely bad. So in other words, right now it's not a crime to play. You get yeah. allowed to transfer money, and the people that are doing the money transferring could get into trouble. But this would make it a crime?
1: Right. And so maybe that'll get dropped out, or maybe it'll be on the books and no, it'll never be enforced. It certainly would make it a crime, make it clearly a crime for poker stars to continue to take bets from people in California Without being licensed in California, now that doesn't say anything in there about how you're going to enforce that. I mean, the de- Federal Department of Justice already says that the Federal Wire Act um, makes it illegal anywhere in the United States to be taking poker bets, even if a, a couple of courts have said no, that's not true. So y- you're always going to have an enforcement problem. Um, the oper- my guess is operators who don't get licensed but want to continue to take bets from America still will, um, and they will have some advantages because the tax rates are going to be a lot less than they are on the licensed operators. The disadvantages are they're not going to be able to advertise, uh, particularly on television and radio, and they're not going to be able to use easy uh, payment, like credit cards will be available again for, say, California residents. Hmm
3: well i I can understand why they would then be opposed to this legislation uh, first of all, because of the fact that it makes it illegal, which means it'll make it more difficult, which it means it will make their lives more difficult as far as promoting and expanding uh poker stars or full tilt or any of the other sites. but secondly, I think it's going to give a huge advantage to those few companies that are able to get the business of running intrastate uh, poker, Because you, you put in your article, maybe you can explain simply how it is and who it is that's going to probably end up with the license to operate these very limited intrastate rooms.
1: Well, every state has its own uh, political problems. So in California, there are uh, federally recognized Indian tribes that have casinos and card clubs and, and card rooms. And then there's also licensed uh, card clubs. We There are also the racetracks. So um, all of them want to be the ones, of course, to operate the Internet gambling, but the state is not doing this to protect or promote local gambling industry. The state, the legislators, if they do this, it's entirely for money. That's it. They don't care at all about the local industry. And to get the most, it expressly says there's going to be three hubs uh, made available and the uh, they don't call them licenses, they call them contracts. The contract, the winners will be those who meet various criteria. Listed in the cr- criteria are lump sum payment, in other words, the most <laughs> money up front, and uh, the most percentage, up to 20%, that of uh, gross gaming revenue. So you get a giant operator like Harrah's that says, okay, we'll give you $200 million cash today, and we're willing to give you 20% of our gross gaming revenue. Well, the card clubs like the Bicycle Club and Commerce or even the, the largest Indian casinos, you know, like Morongo feel they can't compete right. against that. Um, but on the other hand, politically, there is no way that the uh, the, the, the Department of Justice in California is going to give all three operators to foreign non-California um, operators. I assume what will happen is somebody, and, and it could be party poker. Uh, it doesn't have to be Harris. It could be some somebody else who's already knows what they're doing comes in and says, okay, yeah, we'll give you $200 million and 20% uh, an out-of-state operator, but then the other two licenses, if one goes to an Indian tribe, oh, or consortium of Indian tribes the other one has to go to the card clubs
3: well it seems like it would be a tactical blunder if party poker or poker stars or full tilt came in as an out of state operator wouldn't they be wouldn't it make a lot more sense for them to form a partnership either with an Indian tribe or with an established card room or a racetrack already established and they would do what the tribes are doing in every state which is or the Casino operators do with the tribes; they end up managing it silently, right. and uh, they do it behind the the large veneer of the sure. licensed casino or whatever. Yeah, yes.
1: sir. Assuming they can get licensed. Now, one of the criteria the states differ on this, but it's very possible that the state law will say only people who have, are not taking bets now from california will get licensed
3: well that's fine i mean the license can go or the, the contract can go to anybody
1: well but then they can't even be a partner in other words you, oh. you can't you, it's very possible it's easy to write a law that says you can't be involved in any way if you are currently taking bets from the state but on the other hand by the way florida is looking at it differently florida is saying all of their card clubs can go online and one of the, the strangest provisions I've seen in one of the Florida uh, bills is to say they must be currently licensed and operating in a foreign country.
3: In a foreign country?
1: Yeah. And so it's actually designed to help. Um, <laughs> now, I don't know if, if taking bets from Florida would disqualify them or not. I mean, all these, things, all these bills are subject to... Um, right, amendment
3: or... Yeah, right. many
1: times before... They pass, and, and the biggest problem they're all running into, like the bills in New Jersey that would allow casino games online, is that the local casinos came out against it, right? Well, Will.
3: no, no, no. I thought in, New, the, in Jersey they came out against it, but I thought but, they were going to get the license to do it. Well, that's the yeah. Because the funny thing is, the state—it's—it's it's one of these
1: situations where the, the same thing in California. The state's so desperate that it almost doesn't care what the industry says. And I don't know what, how how soon these will pass. I mean, some of them. Uh, if it, it, Iowa, for example, looks like it's a very good possibility that it will pass, but Iowa legislature only meets. For a couple months at, in spring, it's over. It can't, they don't meet again until the beginning of next year, so they can't do anything. Now, one of the interesting things that will happen is once one of these states does legalize, Florida, New Jersey, California, whichever goes first, and it starts getting set up and, and they start getting those tens and hundreds of millions of dollars, the other states have to follow I mean, there are 46 of the states now are projecting budget deficits, and so they're all just desperate for money.
3: Well, this raises a couple of questions. Um, The first one is, and I realize you're an expert on the law. This may not be in your ballywick to comment on, but how much gambling money absolutely is really out there? Because you can tap a well... For a long time, and not see a depletion of the water supply that sure. m- makes any difference. But at some point, if you're tapping a thousand different uh, holes into a into a aquifer, you're going to have problems with wells running dry. When does that happen to the gambling industry?
1: <laughs> I drink your milkshake um, <laughs> with a, with slant drilling.
3: Yes, right, the- right, right, right. You got it.
1: Yeah, of course. Well, I've written a lot about this, uh, and uh, and I I discuss it. In fact, on my website, you know, com, we're in what I call the third wave of legal gambling. It's the third time in American history that gambling has spread everywhere, and there is so much pent up demand that when you first legalize, the first operators make enormous amounts. I mean, I remember telling people. They were going to set up the first casino in uh, eastern Louisiana, and there's no casinos in Texas. And I said, if you don't make 200% return on your money the first year, then someone's ripping you off. Right. But if you're the 13th casino to open in Atlantic City, which was the Taj Mahal, then they go get declare bankruptcy in less than two years um, because you can't just keep pouring more gambling into um, – into any one jurisdiction. Having said that, we're at a lot lot of different levels throughout the United States. Uh, Atlantic City is in trouble because, of course, it's got competition opening up. But um, uh, places like, well, even a state like Florida, which has got a lot of gambling, there certainly is room for Internet poker uh, within the state. Um, We're still a long way away. How big is it? Uh, The estimates vary tremendously, but I actually have have worked with a lot of the operators over the years, and and we know that there are places that are up and operating, like, uh, well, Canada is about to all their state lotteries are about to almost all of them go online with Internet games, including poker. And um, as I said, California's got a population greater than Canada. With advertising... The easy use of credit cards, California is a billion-dollar-a-year poker market for the Internet. Uh, but it is the biggest state, so other states will be smaller than that.
3: Um, listeners, just so you know, this is Nelson Rose, I, Nelson Rose, who is a great expert on gaming and uh, has been talking to us about a new piece of legislation in California that may come to fruition that will allow intrastate internet gambling. I have one last question for you, sure. Nelson. we got a couple of minutes left. I know that on July 1st, Florida by law took off all of the caps on the buy-ins and greatly changed the, uh, the nature of poker in that state, which in the past had been limited, very severely limited at first, less and less limited, but still very limited, yep. and now that came off July 1st. Have you gotten any feedback on what's actually happened if casinos have imposed their own limits on the buy-ins, if gaming has gone crazy. Tell us. Give us a quick report. No,
1: actually, I don't know. I was uh, an advisor to the state senate on their dealings with the Seminole tribe because uh, uh, the state legislature had imposed certain requirements they wanted in the compact, and then the governor just went and cut a separate deal, which was very strange. Um, so it was clear that they were going to have to work out something politically, which included helping the clubs. I mean, the, you remember the original—the original law said
3: ten dollar limit to the size $10, of the pot.
1: T- ten, not ten dollar, right? Not ten dollar buy-in, not ten no, dollar bet. The whole pot. Ten dollar pot. Right. Right. So you got five people; they each put in two dollars, and that's it. And then they deal the cards, and it, and it was there was no poker involved. Right. Um, I have not heard. I don't see. Frankly, the big difference between poker and banking games like blackjack and craps is you don't need limits because the house's money is not at stake. Right. As long as the players, as long as there's people willing to fade the bets, uh, you can have no limit poker games.
3: All right, well, we'll have to get somebody else to comment on that. I was just curious if you had heard anything, but what you've told us about California is news in and of itself, and I'd be eager to have you come back on as this bill progresses or New Jersey progresses or Florida progresses with uh, internet gaming just for residents of the state. Thank you. Always informative, Nelson. You're our first three-time guest, and I hope soon to be (laughs) our first four-time guest.
1: Well, that'd be terrific, and it's always always fun to be here, and any time I can be of any help, let me
3: know. You bet, and we'll put Put your, your website, uh, get gamblingandthelaw.com, on our site so people can link in and read all the other articles about interesting things. Listeners, that was Professor I. Nelson Rose. We'll be back after a short break.
4: My husband, he's the greatest. Like when I told him that I wanted us to reaffirm our vows for our first anniversary... He went and threw me a big church wedding. Ever since then, every single anniversary, we've gotten married again. Chapel weddings, scuba weddings, Elvis weddings. Sometimes I don't know why he does it. Bachelor
5: party so good, he'll want to get married over and over again. Delilah's.
4: Oh, we do the whole thing with the bridesmaids and the reception. He even gets his little boy's night out.
5: Delilah's bachelor parties, phenomenal food, scintillating cigars, and the world's most beautiful showgirls.
4: Last time, he came back saying he could see my inner beauty and that I shouldn't just walk through life. I should dance. See, he's the
5: greatest delilah's bachelor parties get all the details right now at delilah's.com and give him the party he'll remember for the rest of his marriage delilah's the biggest the bravest the best
0: you're listening to the house of cards
2: time we both quit you don't like losing to me
3: and i don't like winning from you you're gonna sit down you're gonna play poker find a suggestion friend with you is you don't enjoy the game for its own rewards, stimulation, relaxation, pleasant association, and the interesting conversation. Shut your mouth! Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards, and uh, a little bit of a change of pace. We have we spend a lot of time talking about poker rooms, uh, poker hands, poker strategy, my poker visits and travels. But today I wanted us to look a little bit at the bigger picture of gaming in general, the gaming industry, which used to be called the gambling industry, uh, but the gaming industry in general. And so we have a guest who is one of the, I guess, the best people to talk about the gaming industry as as a whole. He's Roger Gross the publisher of Casino Connection and Global Gaming Business, uh, the industry's leading gaming trade publication. And I'd like to chat with him about gaming in general and also his personal connection to the industry. So, Robert, are you there?
2: Uh, Yes, I am, Ashley. Thanks for uh, having me on.
3: You bet. And um, why don't you just set this up a little bit by telling our listeners your personal journey to where you are today, how it is you happen to be connected to the gaming industry and what you may have experienced with poker in specific
2: well my uh my my journey into gaming was kind of a, a roundabout one i was a musician in washington dc in uh in the uh in the 70s and uh my my wife at the time uh was from atlantic city my band had broken up i figured well i'll, I'll go to atlantic city with her and <laughs> we can uh, i can play in a, in a band in the casino
3: <laughs> <laughs> cool and, what year are we talking about uh,
2: this uh, about seventy-six when uh, casinos were approved in Atlantic City, um, so uh, we, we traveled to Atlantic City. Our family lived here, so I uh, I uh, worked for them for a while. Actually, they ran a gas dock uh, for boats, and I would I would just uh, serve the boats <laughs> their their gasoline. And uh, uh, it turns out uh, there weren't a lot of bands in the casinos in those days. Uh, and if you were, you had to be uh, a, a real standard musician with who knew how to read read charts and things of that. Nature. Nature, and I was just a rock and roll player, so <laughs> so I ended up. Uh, we had our second son, and I figured I'd better get serious. So I, I ended up uh, becoming a dealer at uh, the second casino to open in Atlantic City, which was uh, which was the Caesar's Casino at the time. And uh, I uh, started dealing, and uh, I was uh, in those days it was a crazy time in Atlantic City. Um, uh, I, I was very hard work. It was nine ten hour days for the dealers. Uh, you dealt uh, to seven spots uh, every minute of the night, uh, and it. It was, it was a really wow. tough job uh but um I, I enjoyed it for a while, but it just got to be too uh, wearing on me. Eventually, I became a, a baccarat dealer, uh, which was a lot more interesting because I could uh, deal to the high rollers. I had you know, day-to-day contact with the, the top-level executives in the casino, and uh, I was I was a very good dealer. So, <laughs> so I dealt to always the, the best players, and uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun in those days. But uh, eventually, I went to work for Steve Wynn in Atlantic City, and uh, and I started to write for a local. Uh, uh, employee newspaper called Casino Journal, mm-hmm. and um I, that eventually morphed into a trade publication i was able to quit the casinos and and work as an editor for there i had some journalism background from uh from some college uh, experience and uh the rest is history I, I i became one of the i think even to this day the only journalist that uh, has actual uh casino gaming experience there's a lot of casino and gaming journalists but they all came up through the journalism route rather than through the casino side uh i started uh uh, global gaming business uh, about eight years ago now, and now it's the leading trade publication for the industry. Casino Connection is a magazine that we publish for the employees in Atlantic City, and we're just getting ready to launch a magazine for the, uh, for the players in the Pennsylvania market. I was also the founding editor of Casino Player Magazine back in 1988, uh, so I, I feel I have some connections with the players. I have a lot of good writers on my staff, and, and we're ready to go to hit that market. So it's been a, a great journey. Um, my poker experience is, is kind of interesting. Uh, in the early days of, of uh, poker tournaments uh, the televising of poker tournaments I was involved with uh, with Trump Taj Mahal and and ESPN they were doing a, a poker tournament uh, called the US Poker Championship at the Taj. Uh, they they recruited my partner Dave Bontempo who was a boxing uh, analyst for ESPN in those days. Now he works for HBO and he brought me in as a, as a color commentator. So uh, we got to meet a lot of the, the young and up Upcoming poker players. In fact, the the winner of that tournament uh, was. Uh, we did it for two years. The, the, I think the second year the winner was uh, was Danny Agarano. Ah, right, of his, one his of his first, first ones. Big, big poker championship uh, uh, victories, and uh, uh, he was a great guy. Actually, the second year we did we did color commentary with Phil Hellmuth. He was the third <laughs> voice in the box. So uh, the bad boy of poker uh, kind of kind of split us up there. It so was, you've a,
0: been around. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it was, it was a great experience, and uh, you know, just just added to my my love of of the industry and and of, of gambling in general.
3: Well, you touched on a number of things that I think our listeners would find interesting. First of all, just to get at the heart of what you do now, which is being the publisher of Casino Connection and Global Gaming Business, which is the uh, trade publication for the gaming industry. What is the gaming industry? I mean, of course, there are some obvious ones. You know, Harris is the gaming industry, but when you write your journal your trade journal who specifically how broad and who is your audience
2: well, we kind of limit ourselves to the casino gaming industry. If you start over at, at the, 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 I guess, the left or right-hand spectrum, you, you get, you're get you at lotteries, you know, and we don't really cover lotteries. That's, uh, that is that is still gaming, you know, technically, but uh, we kind of stick to the gaming part of the industry. Uh, we've recently got into the, the uh, iGaming segment uh, covering that because that is certainly uh, playing casino games. So uh, we, we've started to cover that in the last couple of years, but uh, we pretty much specifically uh, stick to the casino industry. Our our readers are the casino executives, our uh, regulators, uh, public officials involved in gaming, uh, and also the manufacturers, people who who, uh, uh, deliver the goods and services for the casinos themselves.
3: I see. Well, then you would be maybe uniquely positioned to know the answer of this question, something that poker players talk about incessantly, or at least a lot, which is how profitable... Is poker really? I, I know the history of that. Mm-hmm. The answer is well, poker's kind of, it's not a loss leader, but it's a small uh, profit generator compared to slot machines. They could make right. a lot more, but you bring people in. What's your analysis of where poker fits into the overall casino gambling picture?
2: You know, uh, before the big poker boom uh, began in the, uh, in, the, in the early 2000s, uh, poker was really a dying uh, game in, in the casino, uh, in the actual casinos. Uh, there was a few you know, casinos where poker w- was played a big role, certainly in, uh, in, at Binion's downtown and, and a few of the casinos on the Strip. But poker was, re- was really uh, uh, just uh, uh, taking up some casino floor space that could have been devoted to more profitable games. Um, once the poker boom uh, started, That certainly changed the attitude of the casino executives. They started to offer it because there were so many players out there. When there were that many players, you know, the rake became uh, much more lucrative. Uh, You know, in the old days when there were just a few players, it just didn't make a lot of sense for them to devote a lot of of, uh, floor space to it. These days, uh, as the poker boom has receded a bit, um, there there are a lot of major poker rooms, and and, uh, most casinos have to offer uh, some form of a poker room, but uh, uh, it, it. still is a, a pretty good profit center, but it's really more of a more of an incentive to bring people to the casino for things other than poker. Poker itself, the game itself, doesn't produce a ton of revenue. Like you say, it's a it's an ancillary game. It, it doesn't. You know, when you look at slot machines or other table games, poker is is way down the list. But it brings a lot of people to to the casino. They play other games. They bring other people with them who who won't be playing poker, but they will be playing slot machines or or even just shopping in in the shops or or eating in the restaurants or going to, to the concerts. So it's a game, it's a game that, that the casinos really have to offer, but uh, it's not a big moneymaker for them.
3: Okay. Well, just uh, listeners, we're talking to Roger Gross, who's the publisher of Casino Connection and Global Gaming Business. What can you tell us about what's going on with the gaming industry in general? I mean, a while back, there was a horrible recession. Gaming stocks plummeted. What's happening now and what's your prediction for what's going to happen over the next year or two?
2: very difficult time for the U.S. gaming industry. Uh, uh, I'm in Atlantic City right now. Atlantic City is suffering greatly, be- uh, mostly because of the recession, but the double whammy of uh, of the recession and regional competition where, you know, we j- just last week we've seen uh, a table games launch in Pennsylvania. Uh, last month they all launched in Delaware. Um, New York has really just scratched the surface in terms of how they're going to enter the gaming industry. So, you know, Atlantic City is, is struggling mightily. Um, I live in Las Vegas, most of the time, Las Vegas uh, is is also struggling uh, very very uh, badly because uh, the room rates on the Las Vegas Strip have just plummeted. Uh, you can get a, a really nice room on the Las Vegas Strip now for uh, and during the week for like twenty nine or thirty dollars. It's uh, it's an amazing turnaround from just a few years ago. Um, so the gaming industry, you know, in general in the U.S., Indian casinos are struggling. and The two casinos in Connecticut are having a real difficult time, and now they've got to face competi- oncoming competition from Massachusetts, which is which is in the process of approving casino gaming, um, but uh, you know there are pockets that are doing very well. Um, the, as I said, the casinos in Pennsylvania have uh, have really taken off. Um, there's there's quite a few uh, regional casinos that are more in a monopoly situation that are doing well. Um, so uh, you know it, it's kind of hit or miss in this country. Um, when you talk about Asia, Asia is really booming. Uh, Macau, the uh, the uh, Chinese uh, uh, district. Uh, uh, across from Hong Kong, has been growing their gaming revenues in the past year by fifty percent or more every month. It's just been an incredible ride for them. Um, Singapore just opened two uh, spectacular casinos, and they are just knocking them dead. Uh, even even countries like Cambodia and the Philippines have have very very successful casino industries. So uh, the casino industry in Asia is doing very well, and and that's uh, you know where we're kind of keeping our eye on right now because uh, that's where we're really all. The- money is right
3: now well it used to be that the the major casinos in las vegas i know and atlantic city for that matter would try to attract you know chinese whales the huge gamblers that was a large percentage at least the public image was that was a large percentage Mm -hmm. of their industry and now i'm wondering if with the expanding gaming community in asia if that's going to siphon some of our best customers away
2: well it is Citing them to a certain extent, but uh, you know there's good news there because it's developing more customers. Each, the uh, the Chinese economy is just booming. I j- read uh, last week in, in the last quarter the Chinese economy grew by 11 percent, and this is all growing in the middle and upper class. So these people have a, a lot of disposable income. Uh, they they'll come to Macau, but you know they know Las Vegas is the gambling capital of the world. So uh, and there are three American companies operating in Las Vegas who are not shy about I'm sorry in Macau. Who are not shy about bringing some of their customers that they get in Macau to Las Vegas. In fact, they're kind of like the lifeline for Las Vegas now. Uh, when you look at the the revenues on the Strip, uh, slot revenues down, table revenues down. The only thing that's been up for the last year has been Baccarat revenue, and that's really concentrated <laughs> within those three countries, companies that are that are bringing uh, players in from Macau. So you know, there, there's good news, bad news there. But uh, if you have an operation in Macau, you're doing very well right now.
3: Well, I'm eager to get out there i was hoping that uh, one of the large operators out there would fly me out to write uh <laughs> reviews of their own, uh, no such luck it's funny I, I contacted the uh chamber of commerce for macau and they said that they had nothing to do with the gaming industry that's totally separate kind of like right. you have conventional businesses and then this huge huge business that does its own pr and everything right uh-huh. interesting um We have in Massachusetts, and our show is based in Massachusetts, although it's all over the world on the Internet and in six other markets, a little uh, PR thing I'm saying for my producer's benefit. But we're in Massachusetts, and now there's a big debate about whether we should be promoting and encouraging slot parlors. You know, racetracks having right. slots mm-hmm. or destination casinos. What, from your experience, is the difference between the two and the impact on the economy and the long-term efficacy of both of those businesses?
2: Well, the slide parlors will, will generally attract the local market, people within a, a 50-mile radius. That's what we have in Pennsylvania, or we had before they opened the table games, uh, and, and their, their business, 90% of it comes within a 50-mile radius, so uh, I, I would expect that would be what would happen in Massachusetts at the, at the racinos there. Uh, destination casinos are a different story. Uh, you can have, uh, you know, 500-room hotels or, or however much they, they decide to to put in there as along with meeting space, entertainment, uh, retail, dining. So people would come to those, uh, those resorts for more than just gambling. Gambling would just be one part of that and uh, it would be an entirely all-encompassing resort. And while you would certainly get a lot of the local market, uh, you would also attract a lot of businesses. A a lot of meetings and conventions that would normally go, you know, to, to another city because you have so much to offer in that one place. Uh, so I think that's probably the best way to impact the economy. You're going to create a lot more jobs that way. Slot parlors will create a very minimal amount of jobs, whereas uh, casino resorts will bring all kinds of people in, uh, you know, to work at all kinds of levels, from the from the uh, the, the maid in the hotel room to the, uh, the chief executive, uh, you know. And And probably most of them will be local residents uh that's certainly what happened here in Atlantic City when we opened up the uh, the casinos here. Uh, we had a terrible unemployment problem, and that was virtually solved by the casino industry. so uh, I would recommend if I was uh someone in Massachusetts that that we open up the uh, the casino resorts rather than the spot parlors.
3: You and I share that perspective. We only have about a minute left. I want to just ask you to. Uh, think about the future. If you were to predict the future over the next three years when it comes to the gaming industry, do you see a lot more expansion, not much more, or even a contraction? Where would you put us five years from now?
2: I think it's going to be a, a flat for the next 3 years. Uh there's there's as you mentioned the expansion in Massachusetts, as you know, New Hampshire is also considering uh casinos, Texas is looking into it. Um I think I think the casino industry is going to really kind of sit back and wait to see uh or really certainly if the economy turns around. That has certainly hasn't happened in any of the gaming jurisdictions, but uh uh I think we'd have to really sit back and wait to see what's going to happen because nobody really has a prediction. The uh the recession has Really put a put a crimp into investment in the gaming industry. Uh, investors are very very reticent about about putting their money up for casinos because there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding the industry now. What what used to be you know billion dollar companies are now multi million dollar companies, and and the investors uh, have been burned, and they they don't want to really get back into it unless they know for certain that there's going to be you know some sort of profit potential there, and we just don't see that right now.
3: Well, uh, Roger, we are about out of time. What I'd like to do is. When things are developing, if anything changes, we would like to have you come back on as a guest, um, especially maybe to analyze what's going on in Pennsylvania. We know that poker is opened up there. I'm going to be making a tour of the state and visiting their poker rooms, and I'd love to have you come back on in the future and uh, comment on the developments.
2: Well, I'd love to do that, Ashley. You're going to be very impressed with the Pennsylvania uh, casinos. They've done a great job there, and I understand uh, the poker rooms are really going to be dynamic. And uh, as your players know, there's a lot of fish in those new jurisdictions, so uh, you're you're welcome to... uh... To do the pickings anytime.
3: I'm looking forward to it. This is a Roger Gross, publisher of Casino Connection and Global Gaming Business. You've been a great guest, and I appreciate having you on. Thank you. Anytime, Ashley. Okay. Listeners, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back.
4: My husband, he's the greatest. Like when I told him that I wanted us to reaffirm our vows for our first anniversary? He went and threw me a big church wedding. Ever since then, every single anniversary, we've gotten married again. Chapel weddings, scuba weddings, Elvis weddings. Sometimes I don't
5: know why he does it. Bachelor party so good, he'll want to get married over and over again. Delilah's.
4: Oh, we do the whole thing with the bridesmaids and the reception. He even gets his little boy's night out.
5: Delilah's bachelor parties. Phenomenal food, scintillating cigars, and the world's most beautiful showgirls. Last time, he
4: came back saying he could see my inner beauty and that I shouldn't just walk through life. I should dance. See? He's the greatest.
5: Delilah's bachelor parties. Get all the details right now at Delilah's.com and give him the party he'll remember for the rest of his marriage. Delilah's, the biggest, the bravest, The best.
3: Hi listeners, this is Ashley Adams, professional poker player, author, and host of House of Cards. You can all, wherever you're listening to our show, we're now blanketing the United States. You can send in your questions or comments about the show to info at houseofcardsradio.com and you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash hocradio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOC Radio.
0: House of Cards, brought to you by Delilah's. Voted America's number one gentleman's club. Check them out at Delilah's.com. You're listening to the House of Cards.
5: Let's play
3: Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. I'm uh, joined for this segment by my producer, Dave Weishattle. And, uh, and what's are, going on? You are back from the 40th annual World Series of Poker. And so, uh, how actually did you do? I am back from the 40th anniversary uh, World Series of Poker. I did great. It is uh, the 40th. I yeah, heard that today. <laughs> it is. I'm just processing <laughs> that in my <laughs> I head. I thought you doing math. It's the 40th. 1970 was the first. Of course, the first wasn't really. The same gig because they voted on who they thought the best poker player was. They had not yet come up with a format for a tournament that left one winner, and of course, Johnny Moss was voted the best player. But that but was the first one basically a table, yeah, really? yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a table, and it was uh, they just played poker, and they didn't have a tournament in the sense that they don't didn't have the structure that we have now, where people got knocked out with fixed bankrolls. Uh, that was the next year when Johnny Moss actually won it for real. And then uh, Amarillo Slim won it. but it's not compa- it's not really fair comparing the winners back then in the certainly in the early 70s to the people that win it now because it was just a table. It wasn't nearly as big a thing. But this year it was it was incredible. in fact it was it is it's still, it's still going, going on. on yeah. In fact when we're taping this, uh, we are in the middle of day three, which is really day seven because uh, the first four days are each day one. It's, this reminds me of when I learned base eight <laughs> math, you know? yeah, base eight, like one, two, a, three, four, five, six, like seven, a eight,
0: Like or something like that.
3: Right, but the first four days are all day one. They take the huge starting field of over 8,000 people and they divide them into four different days, different heats. And then they consolidate uh, day one and day three. Oh, I'm sorry, day A and day C, That's d- uh, day 2A, and then day uh, B and day D, 1B and 1D become day 2B, and then they take the people that survived those two day twos and they consolidate them further to day three and then day four, five, six, seven, etc. And then, of course, they bring them all back in November for a final table. But I was there um, before the first day of the main event, but I was there during a lot of other tournaments. This was the first year in a while that I did not actually enter one of the World Series events. Uh, the schedule didn't work out quite right. There would have been the possibility of a $2,500 Rez tournament or a $3,000 horse tournament. And combination of not wanting to commit that amount of money. I'm a $1,500, $2,000 player at, at my biggest. And this was over that. Uh, or if it was just a plain stud tournament, I would have entered for 3000 But the stud tournament, the straight stud, was not while well, I was there. So instead... I played in cash games and played in some at the Rio in the World Series and then played some uh, at the Orleans and the Palms, uh, the uh, Aria, which is a brand new, beautiful casino, the Wynn, uh, the Venetian, and then played one uh, tournament, a horse tournament at the Orleans, my second day there, Sunday. There were 90 entrants and uh, I ended up finishing first and second, first and second place we decided to split the... The first and second place pool, and that was my big success. I took down twelve or thirteen hundred bucks, and that subsidized my trip. uh, And I ended up finishing quite a bit in the black. Had a great time. A couple other things. I mean, listeners, if you're interested, I presume our listeners have tons of questions for you. Okay. Well. Ask what? me some questions cuz I'll just keep going on and on. And well,
0: you mentioned some tournaments, what were they um, playing out there now? What were the tournaments that oh, were going well, there on was, right now in
3: Vegas? There was the uh, Tournament of Champions, which is the uh, World Series of Poker subsidized event. I think there was a million dollar or a 500 I think a million dollar prize pool. First place was $500,000. That was amazing. That was 27 players. Um, many of whom were already selected by the World Series of poker. some were selected by uh, the public at large. You got to vote oh really wow. on the World Series of poker site. but all the big names were there, and I you know the great thing about poker, unlike NASCAR or baseball or football or basketball or other huge events, is that in poker, all the celebrity top professionals are completely accessible. Even to the point of being able not just to stand <laughs> next to them, but to play with them. So the World Series uh, championship event was an example of being able to stand right next to your, you know, biggest celebrities and watch them play, which I did for about. I mean, I'm not big on watching people myself. I'm not a huge celebrity hound, but it was interesting to see a table with Johnny ha- uh, Johnny Chan, Phil Hellmuth, Scotty Wynn. Eric Seidel, Jennifer Harmon, Alan Cunningham, Doyle Brunson, Annie Duke. I mean, they're all there. Wow. Huxseed. I think Huxseed ended up winning the uh, championship event. And there they all are. And, you know, to, to be perfectly mundane, you're standing in the bathroom and, you know, these... Incredibly famous superstars of poker come right into the urinal next to yours. Now, that would never happen Wait, at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> uh, yes, dear. actually. Right. Uh, it's hard to believe. Do you wander but...
0: in weird places there?
3: <laughs> no, I, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, this is not uh, Howard Stern's show. It's, it We're stays not in Vegas. It stays in Vegas. But it was extraordinary. It, it's, it's a poker player's dream. If you've ever thought of going to Las Vegas, the time to go is during the World Series of Poker. Get yourself to the Rio. It's funny. I'm playing in a home game the other night in Brookline. A low-stakes game. Incredibly nice guys. um, And the guy next to me, who I've played with a bunch of times... He said, hey, Ashley, we were in Las Vegas at the same time. I wish I had known you were there. I said, you didn't know I was there. I have a blog. He <laughs> says, oh, I don't read your blog. I said, oh, okay, well, like tens of millions of others, you don't read my blog, but I was in Las Vegas at the same time. He said, yeah, I was staying at the Excalibur, and uh, my wife was there for a convention, and I played a lot of poker, and uh, if I had known you there, maybe we could have gotten together. I said, yeah, well, did you get over to the Rio? He said, no. No, I didn't want to bother. I said you were in Las Vegas during the World Series of Poker, and you didn't even make it over to the Rio to see the huge... I mean, that would be like being in uh, Beijing during the Olympics. Say, well, I didn't I, I didn't check out the Olympics. I just stayed in my hotel room the whole time and didn't get to see anything. I mean, so it's an amazing experience.
0: Well, is it, is it a little threatening for people? I mean, if you're just a home player, and to walk into the Rio at, at the time of the World Series, maybe was he a little you know, intimidated by that whole setting, or... You might be—is that setting intimidating for a young player to walk in? Is it no. just well, poker overload kind of thing?
3: Well, th- those are two separate questions: whether it's intimidating and whether it's poker overload. Intimidating? No, it's a huge space. There are thousands of people milling about, thousands and thousands of people playing. You hear this um, really kind of cacophonous clink, clicking of poker <laughs> chips, which is quite amazing to be in a room with um, two thousand players and they're all stacking and moving chips around. It has a sound to it that is uh, like no other sound. Uh, it would be intimidating to have to be in control of the room, but to just be a spectator or maybe even a player at one of the tables, not intimidating at all. Dazzling, mind-blowing, maybe. Overwhelming, perhaps. But uh, if you're a poker player, you've got to get your ass to the Rio during the World Series at least once in your life to experience it. And I would say you've got to play in the room to experience what it's like to be there. And, and you can. They have one-two no-limit games. They have two-five no-limit games. Uh, I even saw games I had never heard of before. They have a new game, at least to my eyes. It's not new to some people, but it's called Big O, and it's uh, Five Card Omaha, which you you know I've played in my home game, but it has a name to it. It's played Pot Limit. They had a 5-10 blind structure, and uh, I saw some enormous pots looked like a lot of fun. There was a long waiting list. I actually wanted to play it. I saw the biggest cash game I'd ever seen. Well, I, I saw a 2,000, 4,000 game at Foxwoods once, but this was the biggest pot limit or no limit game. It had three blinds, a 100, a 100, and a $200 blind, and then typically somebody on uh, in the um, under the gun would have a $400 straddle. So the pot had one hundred, one hundred. It already had eight hundred dollars, just like in antes for conventional poker players. Blind bets eight hundred dollars before the action started. Pots were typically thirty to fifty thousand dollars. Wow, uh, just very different kind of game. I watched, uh, and I watched the tournament of champions. There were also an Omaha championship was going on. There was a horse championship going on. There were a bunch of fifteen hundred dollars uh, hold'em events, and of course the Raz and the uh, the horse event that I mentioned. So a lot of tournament action.
0: How about some of the interesting people you've met? You've, you've said you've seen some incredible poker players. Have, are they approachable? Can you talk to Absolutely. them? Absolutely.
3: I mean, I went in looking for my cousin who was playing in a number of events, and there was... Is this gr- Harry? Harry exactly. Yeah. That's, that's right. He actually made it to uh, day two of the main event, but I didn't see his name on day three, so I guess he got knocked out on day two. But I saw Greg Raymer, and Greg was very friendly, and uh, former guest Daniel Negrano was there and uh, greeted me, and we chatted briefly. He was playing in the tournament, so I didn't want to distract him. That's the one thing you've got to realize. These guys are at work, Yeah, and you see them, and it's, ooh, 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 but you, it's not a time to just have a lovely conversation and distract them from the business at hand, which, from their perspective, is winning the tournament. From my perspective, it's interviewing them, but from their perspective, they're there to win the tournament. Um, so it's not security around these guys, or well, like pushing you away kind of thing? No, no, I have a press pass, okay. which allows me to walk in and amongst all the tables, uh, cash games, tournament tables, and then I can uh, take people aside in the main table area. Um, and they even have a special interview room where I went to get my picture taken. The photographer of the stars I met and chatted, and he happened to be free, and he took a picture of me, and I hope to have mine should, as a guest. Should be
0: up on the website.
3: I hope so. And I'm getting the high sign from... Doug, so we will continue this conversation okay. in our next segment of uh, of House of Cards, but I guess that'll end it for, okay, uh, for today. So, listeners, we're going to end this segment, but uh, stay tuned or tune in next week if this is the end of the show. I'm not really... Dave, is this the end of the show? Yep. Yes. Is. So, okay, listeners, good luck and good night, and we'll talk again next week. <laughs>